0: Been penalty to Chicago, a game of misconduct, and then Manson having
1: words with Stephen, and now Butcher gets into it. We're going to have a brawl, folks. Stand by. What's going on, Mike? How you doing, Bud? I'm good, man. Just living. St. Louis is like 80
0: degrees today, which is pretty nice. It's been a big heat wave here lately, so kind of nice to just get outside and. See the kids off to the to school in a hoodie today. First hoodie of the season of the year. It feels like in oh, the fall, man. man. It's it's a good feeling. It's my favorite time of the year.
1: Yeah, dude. We're summer's wrapping up. Hoodie weather is among us. Uh, although uh, Tommy is West Coast, and I, you know I'm in the desert, so I don't know how many hoodies we're going to be wearing anytime soon. But it's going to take you a little bit, man. It'll show up, but just about a
0: two month delay compared to where I am in the Midwest. True. True.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I have, this is going to be my first fall out in Vegas. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I still kind of get that, that vibe, but I don't think anything can compare to the Midwest. Right. Cause you got the, the leaves and you got all that. I don't know. Like the flannel comes out, the the pumpkin spice, yeah. everything comes out. It's a beautiful <laughs> time of year. It's just different, man. Like you kind of get used to wherever you've been. If you're a Midwesterner to
0: the core, it's, it is strange not to see corn. <laughs> you know what it's I mean? Very, like, it's very true. You know, you drive up Highway 55 or you drive across Highway 70 in in Missouri, Illinois, and it's just cornrows. Boom, 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 boom. And you get in the desert, man. It's just nothing but scrub. It doesn't change no matter what the season is. You're still looking at the same thing. It's just – it's different, man, for sure.
1: Well, uh, yeah, so we kind of, you know, skipped the intro a little bit. But, you know, we have Mike McKenna on, professional attendee on air personality, podcast, podcast host, amateur chef. Uh, What, what don't you do is the question. Uh, I, what I don't
0: do, you know what I don't do? I don't golf very well. I don't like golf. I, for a lot of years, I tried to fool myself into thinking I did because I was a hockey player and I'm not good at it. I don't really like it. I'll play in tournaments if I have to, but yeah, that, that I'm brutal at that. Um, There's other things in life I'm not good at. A lot of things. It's just I try to stay away from them.
1: (laughs) You you know, it's funny. We had Jansen on yesterday, and uh, he's also not very good at golf, but he's trying because he just got a house on a golf course. So, we
0: listen, we've golfed together, and it's uh, you want to see the whole course. You put Cam and I in a cart, and we'll take you for the grand tour.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was – Definitely uh, definitely entertaining. I, I, I've i gotten into golf over the years myself, but I'm not very good either. So it, it's, I mean, it's I acquired taste, I feel like. Just because you're a hockey player doesn't necessarily mean that that goes hand in hand, even though it feels like it.
0: That just frustrates me. That's all it is. Like I'm used to being pretty decent at things. And when I find something like that, that I got to a point a couple of years ago, I'm like, man, I either need to take lessons or quit because I was losing it and i have a really short fuse and i'm not <laughs> i i'm i don't do well with those types of situations and i just decided to cut my losses and become a tournament only type of guy and i bought a mountain bike instead and i can go do that and feel myself get better and have fun and if i'm not having a great day i can just put a foot down and be in nature which is great so a pretty good trade-off and when i was playing too it was i, I mean i got training out of it you know you're not getting any training on a golf course and that's five hours of your day yeah. you know i could go ride for two hours and be happy and be in the woods and try to avoid deer and chipmunks and whatever else would run across the trail and get something out of it you know so it was it was a good trade-off
1: i feel like we should talk about that before we talk about hockey because you just recently went on a crazy bike ride. I, I don't even, I, I saw your Instagram stories. It was like nine hours a day. Is that what you were doing?
0: Uh yeah, man. Like the first day I did 93 miles and I think it took me 11 hours cause I stopped a couple times and I also didn't take into account the 1300 feet elevation that was going to take place between Sedalia, Missouri and Rocheport, Missouri, which was basically like going up the Ozark plateau. I think I was just arrogant to the whole situation. (laughs) I figured like I'm an old pro athlete. I ride a bike a decent amount. I'll be fine. I was not fine. I got done with that first day and my ass was so sore and bruised. And like it, it took over a week to heal and and not like, like just straight bruised. (laughs) Um, So that my saddle sores, it took longer than I expected. I'm riding in the dark. I I nearly got killed by a groundhog on a trestle bridge, just, all kinds of crazy things happened. And then the second night, second day, I kind of was like ready to go home. I was ready to just put my bike on the train in Jeff city, Missouri and go home. And I was like, no, man, you're not going to quit. Just get on the bike and see how it feels. And I'm happy I brought tools with me because I made some adjustments to the bike and and had some better shorts and next day it's 70 miles. And then the last day was like 35 or 40. So it was 210 miles over three days and it's t- it's pretty flat. Like it's a converted railbed the Katy trail it's limestone so like when you talk about eight nine ten hours a day like i was pedaling for eight or nine or ten hours yeah. so it was it was a lot dude like <laughs> i've i've ridden 25 miles on a mountain bike before and it's you pedal and then you coast and you pedal and then you coast and i didn't get any of that so it was strenuous but i'm glad i completed it because i'll probably never do it again but it's off the bucket list now you did that yeah. by yourself Yeah. Solo DIY, man. I thought this is great. I'm just going to go. Um, cause my my grandpa and I had always wanted to do it together and he passed away when I was like 13. So it was one of those kind of like cathartic moments where it's like, man, I, I need to do this. This isn't, I want to, I need to do this. Um, so yeah, knocked it out, got done, was in all kinds of pain when I got on, got in the car at the finish line, man, put the, put the bike on the rack, but, uh, yeah, it was it was cool to do it, you know, and see one a lot of my home state and two just kind of complete something my grandpa and I had always dreamed of.
2: Yeah. That's super cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, out here on the West coast, it's all Hills. So it's like, like you said, you pedal up, you coast down, yeah. you pedal up the coast down. Yeah. doing that on, on limestone. I yeah, it's brutal, a brutal yeah. ride, but I'm sure you loved, you did it. Love that you, you did it there, but yeah, I mean, to, to maybe swing things onto the hockey side, obviously your career kind of started back in uh, at least from a professional standpoint back in O2, uh, drafted the sixth round 172nd overall by the, by the predators, uh, you know, ended up with 14 years of pro hockey under your belt, uh, if miss someone here, let us know. But I think from an NHL standpoint, i uh, got the Lightning, Devils, Jackets, Yotes, Stars, Senators, and Flyers, if I got everyone there. Was that yeah, seven? Seven.
0: 17? Played for seven, but also dressed games for the Panthers and the okay. Canucks. Okay. Got so it. I got the NHL record. It's me, Sean Burke, and Ron Tugnut. Nice. Nice. Teams that people, you know, like actual jerseys worn in the NHL. Now, those guys all played for all nine teams. I played for seven of them. And they both probably combined played 2,000 games to my three dozen. But I'm right there with them, man.
2: At the end of the day, that's all that matters, right? So I got the pay stubs to prove it. (laughs) There you go. There you go. But yeah, I think from there, um, you know, obviously we jump into, you know, obviously getting started at the beginning there, getting drafted and whatnot, you know, do you have any idea, you know, when you were going or who you were going to, or, you know, were there any relationships kind of built up prior to that, you know, with the Predators or anything along those lines? Yeah, kind of surprisingly, it
0: was the team that I thought I had the best chance with. Um, I had spoken to Nashville before the draft. It was the only team I spoke one-on-one with. Um, they came in to see me play when I was in college at St. Lawrence University. Uh, and this was freshman year and I was playing against David Lenovo on the other side for Cornell and we were the one 2 college ranked goaltenders. Mm-hmm. And so there was a decent amount of people there, I'm sure. But after the game, they didn't want to talk to the highly ranked kid in Lenovo. They wanted to talk to me. So that was really cool. It was the first time I ever met Mitch Korn. This was 2000, probably, I don't know if it was 2001 or two when I met him proper before that um, but yeah I was interviewed by them in the room and I went to Toronto for the draft and thought that probably somewhere between fourth and sixth round seemed likely um, there's always a run of goaltenders somewhere in that time frame like fifth sixth round especially like they start to go and we started to get to the sixth round and I'm thinking okay a couple goalies have gone and Nashville comes up and I kind of had this like premonition I'm like man I think this could happen here and sure enough like announce the name go down to the table you know take the Crappy pictures from 2002. (laughs) uh, And, you know, go meet everybody and go to a rookie camp a couple weeks later in Nashville, which was awesome because I could drive to it being a St. Louis. So it made me very popular there. Everybody wanted to ride, you know. So I'm carting around, I'm carting around like, you know, Dan Hamuse and Shea Weber and uh, Klein and, you know, Suter and like Upshaw and Tutu. Like we had so many good players. Oh, yeah. Um, And I did four development camps or rookie camps with them. I never signed. (laughs) So um, it gave me that first taste, but, you know, I, I didn't have any expectations. Even at that point, it was just amazing to be drafted.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, for sure. It's exciting stuff, no doubt. And from there, obviously, it looks like, you know, you, you ended up back in, into the like the ECHL, AHL 0506, bounced around, you know, in there for a couple of years. And then 0809 had your your first taste there with uh, with the lightning. Uh, you know, how how'd that go? I guess, you know, first game, you know, what were the nerves like? You know, how was it? How did it feel getting up there kind of grinding to, through everything at that point?
0: I didn't have time to think about it. I got tossed into a game midway through in Long Island, and there it was a huge snowstorm. There might have been seven thousand people in the Coliseum, and we probably had nine thousand in Hershey a couple of nights before in the American League. So I wasn't really like overwhelmed by the the NHL aspect. Yeah, in terms of the atmosphere, you know, um, it was still going on the ice though against Billy Garen and. You know, other players that you recognize very quickly. And oh, yeah. um just looking up and seeing the Stanley Cup banners and it's a different level. But I got thrown in midway through. I mean, Rick Tocket was the coach at the Lightning at the time. And I look and you back up in the corner in Long Island and he's waving over the crowd because <laughs> Kari Rama allowed three quick ones. And I'm like, this is the first NHL game I've ever dressed. I've never played a preseason game. I was never on an NHL contract until two days before. And I'm like, Oh fuck, here we go. I'm going in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh and that was it, man. I went in. I think I went 11 for 11, handled the puck a few times, made some passes. And I was like, man, I can do this, you know? And then uh, the next night was in Pittsburgh, and that was my first start. So it was back-to-back. Mm. Um, and, man, we were doing great until the third period. We were up 3 nothing. I'm standing on my head. And then uh, three goals go in in the third, and we lose in overtime. Malkin took uh, over. And uh, Gary Roberts kind of ruined that. He sucker-punched Matt Cook and took a double minor, and they scored twice, I think, on that power play. So it was uh, it was a welcome to the NHL moment, but it was pretty cool. Like I said, I really didn't have time to think about it, and I just started to play games and, you know, playing against obviously good players. Ovechkin in the Capitals two or three times that year. He did the hot stick on me. Like I was that guy. <laughs> yeah. That's how teammates would eventually find out later. And they're like, that was you? And I'm like, yeah, that was me. That's my yeah. claim to fame. Ovi did the hot stick on me.
2: So <laughs> it goes and then i think uh on top of that i think shortly after you uh you got called maybe, maybe not shortly after that but i think your first one ended up being a shutout right
0: yeah it was it was my th- it was the first start at home uh, okay. so my parents were there girlfriend now wife at the time um and yeah my dad came running down from the stands like and it was right there when i got off the ice it was a one nothing shutout yandani was a goalie at the other end um It was incredible, man. First win was a shutout. It was all downhill from there, but (laughs) I never had another one. (laughs) But uh, it was pretty unbelievable, man, like just uh, to have that. And and one of the referees was Don Koharski, who Don Koharski lived in St. Louis when I was growing up. I Mm. played with his son, Jamie, who was a referee for years uh, in the American League, the ECHL. And so Don coached me. Mm. And here he is now refereeing My NHL start, well, he called two of the most frivolous minors on the Islanders in the last five minutes. And I'm thinking, like, I'm scot-free, man. This is going to happen. And, like, (laughs) 10 seconds left, our guys are snapping it around, and they blow it at the blue line. And here comes Ocposo out of the box. And this is when he was still, like, big-time player coming in the league. and Yeah. Yeah, I stopped a breakaway with like seven seconds left. He shot high blocker side. I made the save. Never forget it. But it was like, oh god, here we go. <laughs> this is, can't be happening. Like, guys, yeah. why didn't you just hang on to the puck for the next ten seconds? But, um, but yeah. So thanks to Don Koharski, that was a really cool moment. And you know, it's funny how all that stuff just kind of comes full circle.
2: Yeah, that's solid
0: rock star shit right there.
1: Honestly, it's pretty cool. Pretty uh, cool. You know, so Jansen made a comment about how important it was uh, to perform in front of his friends and his family, and how he kind of fed off that energy. And as you mentioned, this was uh, that first win was a shutout at home. Uh, Did you have any have any family in the stands? Was that like a big moment for you, as far as that goes, or was this just something that you were performing for the fans? Well, having my dad, my parents there for sure,
0: um, and obviously like my girlfriend was just you know important too. But like for for my dad especially he's not a guy who shows a lot of emotion really he's just a really passive humble type of guy and you know he comes running down from the stands to give me a hug as I'm coming off the ice and you know afterwards you know handed me a letter from my grandpa that he kept all these years that I didn't know about and like there was a lot of emotional stuff going on that day that I don't think a lot of players get and they don't have because they've a lot of today's generation shows up and they think they're going to play in the NHL and they make the NHL. And it's like, yeah, I, I was 16. I was a stud. I knew this was going to happen. Well, we didn't know how to do that from St. Louis. Chance and I, neither Cam and I, nobody made it. Cam was the first guy ever out of St. Louis to make it yeah. ever. And, and he did it, you know, two, a year or two years before I did. And I remember calling him when I was playing in the ECHL, I was in Vegas. I remember calling him going, man, you did it, dude. Like you, you knocked the door down, man. And, it was amazing that it started to roll like that, but kids take it kind of for granted now, right? Like back then it was a huge deal and it still is. It should be for everybody, man. Like playing in the NHL is like, it is, it's an absolute privilege, Uh, but sometimes it gets lost on kids that just have always been that good and expected it, you know, and that just, that wasn't me. It just kind
1: of things kept progressing and there I was in the national somehow, so not including uh, any AHL or ECHL sk- uh, stints, uh, you played for the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Devils, Blue Jackets, Coyotes, Dallas Stars, Ottawa Senators, Flyers, as we mentioned at the beginning of this uh, interview. Out of all of the organizations, we'll, we'll even go with the Miners uh, and, the, and the NHL. Who do you think was your favorite organization to play for and why?
0: Man, that's a great question because I definitely had some – great organizations and some really shitty ones. Um, I would say the best, I just always look fondly at the year I spent in the Dallas organization. Um, I was in Austin, Texas for most of it. I was with Dallas for a month and a half at the end, which was kind of typical in my career. You know, later by the midpoint of my career, I'd get called up for a month, month and a half out of the season and maybe get a game or three or four. That's just how it was for me. Um, But I had to earn those opportunities by outplaying my goalie partners. You know, to earn the privilege to sit on the bench of the NHL, which right. people forget. You know, oh, you're just getting called it to be a button. No, I earned that, and I feel comfortable saying that now. But in the moment, the the humble hockey guy, like, oh, I was lucky enough. It's like, yeah. it's like when McDavid says, "If I'm lucky enough to make the Olympic team, yeah, right. <laughs> really, Connor? Like, I think you can. You you might just be able to be honest here for once and not be that hockey guy. Um, but in any case, I just. You know, I I, I love that year in Dallas. It was a fun organization. Jim Nil was top-notch general manager. Uh, we went to the Calder Cup finals in the American League, and Austin was one of my absolute favorite places. Uh, Portland, Maine, and Austin, Texas were like my two favorite cities where I spent most of my time. Uh, that year was amazing. Uh, really, really treated well. Uh, Columbus treated me fantastic as well. Um, But a lot of these were just one year stops, you know, and that's kind of been the bummer of my career is I never really got to lay roots anywhere and spend two, three, four years because I wasn't an entry level guy. I wasn't a bonus baby. I didn't, no one was invested in me from a team standpoint. I was always kind of the fill in veteran, older guy, one year layover goaltender. So yeah, Dallas for sure. Columbus. um, Yeah, man, like I had some good experiences for sure, but those two really stand out.
2: Oh yeah. That's, that's solid. Uh, I was trying to look it up. I I don't think I just pop it up on my side, but from that, from that Calder Cup final, where were you starting for that? I know it went seven games. Okay. Yeah. How, how, how'd you handle that?
0: Well, I did it the year before. So I did two Uh, years in a row. Right. Um, 20, 2017, 2018, I guess it was. So 2017 is with Syracuse um, and I'd been traded for at the deadline by Julian Brisebois, Mm. uh, who was then the general manager of the crunch. And some people may know his name. He's only won two Stanley Cups since with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, but he traded for me at the deadline, which is bold, man. And I'm like, that doesn't work often for goalies. And yeah. it took a bit for me to adjust. And then we went on a run and lost in game six to Grand Rapids. And that was the biggest stage I'd played on. You know, I mean, I, you play in NHL games, it's great. But like playoffs, it doesn't matter the league. You'll, you'll, you can talk to guys that play in the ECHL that when they make it to the finals, it's a huge deal, you oh, yeah. know, AHL, it's a huge deal. You're playing for something. Um, so I had that experience of playing the year before. Uh, and then game seven though, like, dude, we just, we just kept somehow winning. Like we were not the best team in Texas, like on paper, I think, but I don't. we were just having so much fun and we got along so well and we all played for each other that it was one of those classic cases of punching above your weight, you know? And, like, I'm comfortable in saying I was playing out of my head. I know I was. Like, you can go back and look at the stats and some of those, like, two 44-shot shutouts in a row, right? Like, there there was a lot going on there.
2: Yeah, right.
0: But even though I was playing that well, you still have to score goals, right? Like, a goalie cannot steal an entire playoff until you get to game seven. And games that I did not steal by a long shot, right? I mean, I allowed it yeah. a field goal in Rockford one game, right? And we come yeah. back and end up winning. Um, we just kept scoring. We kept finding ways. And I think it, like Travis Moore and Justin Dowling and then the young guys, Rope Hitz especially, who's made his name in Dallas, was oh, huge yeah. for us in those playoffs. That was like his coming out party that everybody realized, this guy's for real. Um, you know, just all down the list, that team, and it led, it's led to a lot of good things for people down the road. We had great leadership. God, we had fun. We had barbecues and played sand volleyball after every round that we won. You know, one guy's wife blew her knee out. We were playing so hard. It was just, (laughs) it was awesome, you know? Um, So yeah, that's, that game seven was just, it's almost like this sense of relief when you play a game seven and I've played four or five of them and it's like, man, this is it. Like you're going to win or you go home. So yep. you're just, you kind of almost have this peacefulness going into it, which is really odd because it's supposed to be this ultimate sensory overload. And it's not, it's almost like, all right, let's do this. We'll see what happens. You yeah. Know? 100%. Yes. It's it, man, it sucks to lose though. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Game seven for a championship, you know, against the team that has three times the payroll and you almost knock them off. Like yeah, we right. felt pretty, we felt pretty good that we got to where we did, but you always want to win the prize at the end.
1: Oh, okay. What's up everyone? Tyler Cash here from the 4th Line Goon Hockey Podcast. Interrupting this week's episode to talk about one of our amazing sponsors, Schlafly Brewing Company. A staple in the St. Louis community for 30 years now, they have four different brew pubs located all over the metropolitan area, including downtown St. Louis, Maplewood, St. Charles, and most recently they opened a location in Highland, Illinois. From stouts and porters to lagers and IPAs when it comes to delicious and refreshing beers, Schlafly has got you covered. Their Just a Bit Hazy IPA is an easy drinking IPA that will hit stores this February alongside their highly sought after Tasmanian IPA. If you know me, you know I enjoy a good dark beer and their coffee stout is among some of the best I've ever tasted. If you're looking for something just a bit lighter though, their white lager is crisp and clean as it's unfiltered and perfect for the domestic beer drinker that would like to transition to drinking more craft beers. You can download the Schlafly app on your phone to help locate and purchase their products all across the country. Be sure and follow them on Facebook and Instagram for constant new updates and information on all of their products. Schlafly beers are delicious and refreshing. Check them out. You won't regret it.
2: Um, obviously, you know, from St. Louis, um, you know, I'm assuming probably a blues fan at heart, uh, from there, I know you spent a couple of years kind of before everything, you know, down with the, with the Springfield junior blues, how to, how was that experience for you? Oh
0: boy, we were terrible. Um, (laughs) the, the first year we had a coach that, um, I probably don't want to ever see him again. Now looking back on it, especially the things that took place, all the gross things that junior hockey is and was. And has been buried about endlessly in the media the last couple of years is exactly what Springfield, Illinois was like when I was there my first year. Uh, and being a 16 year old when everybody else was two years older than you, yeah. you know, you, you need help, you need friends and you need guidance. And that's not what happened there. The, this, the good part to that is I had incredible billets. My billet family was amazing. I had a really good roommate. My goalie partner was fantastic. Um, but man, there's just a lot of dickheads on that team. And they were so caught up in the junior culture. Uh, And somebody like me that has always kind of fought against that and tried to buck that trend, you know, you almost get caught up in it back then, right? And you think it's normal. And looking back, I just, I'm glad it's over. Sure. You know, our coach got fired midway through the year for bag skating us after a game without water. Um, And, you know, we're all out past curfew. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, like in in front of our friend's family, we're 16, 17, 18 years old. So, um, the first year, yeah. Bad coach, bad guy, bad, some bad teammates. And then the second year pretty entertaining, more fun, but we just sucked. (laughs) (laughs) We were so bad. Like we just could not win. And, uh, you know, it, I got through it basically. And, it got me a chance that I got to play a ton of hockey, which was the saving grace as a goalie. And that's what got me the chance to be seen by St. Lawrence, uh,
2: yeah. and get my
0: foot in the door there and, and take some other college visits, but ultimately end up you know, where I wanted to, which was Division One college hockey.
2: Definitely. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like one of those situations where it's like, yeah, I know we suck but I go out here and have some fun with it and just roll the punches type of a thing is what it sounded like.
0: And especially as a goalie, you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Like when you're facing 72 shots in (laughs) Sault Ste. Marie and you lose nine, nothing, like, and you're shorthanded for 18 minutes of the third period and you face 40 in the third, like. You know your numbers are going to look like a credit yeah, card at what the he's end of the to year. Do? You those, know, and those uh, are some bush league
1: numbers right there.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, like, I was just thankful that anybody saw through that. And I mean, I was also one of the only 16 year old goalies playing junior hockey. You know, at the NA level or the USHL, it was the two US goaltenders and myself, and that was it. So, it um, at least my name was out there, and it got me where I needed to. But yeah, it was it's a pretty wild experience in retrospect, especially just how hockey was back then. I'm I'm happier I'm
1: happy it's in a better place now than it was then. So Tommy briefly mentioned that uh you you know you grew up in St. Louis, we're all we're all St. Louis boys, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Me and Tommy grew up in St. Louis as well. Uh and he mentioned, you know, blues fan at heart potentially. Growing up as in the a era kid, era. I was
2: for sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, yeah. I mean, where did you, where did you play as a kid? I mean, were you, were you like Patty Maroon? Were you a rink rat, you know, hopping around on, you know, playing roller or were you, were you always strictly ice? Did you always play in net? I started ice. That's what I liked. I, I played derby a
0: couple of years and it was so unorganized and fly by night that I just had no desire to ever do it again. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't my thing at all but yeah i started on the ice at five at kirkwood my grandpa was like one of the first rink managers and a founding father of hockey in st louis um an inaugural class of the st louis hockey hall of fame as a builder and uh and as a referee and linesman around town so that's kind of where it started from and grew up in manchester still live in manchester but that was kirkwood's district so played there and uh you know played all along growing up i played for the peewee quebec team and went to quebec when I was 13, and then uh, I had to spend one year at Creve Corps being coached by Don Koharski because Kirkwood had two returning Bantam AA goalies <laughs> um, who were not very good. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. But uh, I got left out because I wasn't returning. So I went to Creve Corps for a year, and then um, kind of came time to decide, am I going to go play Junior B or am I going to go play Triple A? And this is when I was 15. And we decided, okay, we're going to do one year AAA. This was expensive, man. Like it yeah. was so expensive. Like I made the AAA team when I was like 10 and my parents went, no, we're not <laughs> spending that. And I was like, all right, that's fine. So played one year at AAA and just ran the table and awards at tournaments. And then we went and won Kibbet and Camloops, which is the biggest band tournament. Yeah. And that's where it all turned, man. I, I played two years at Parkway South freshman, sophomore year at varsity at Parkway South too. So yeah, I was a goalie by age eight, I guess. My dad and grandpa had the foresight to make me learn
1: how to be a hockey player for two years first, and I'm thankful that they did. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, I mean, getting a, a sense of your background and, and growing up, I mean, my question for you was who is your all time favorite goaltender? And I feel like that's a question that starts brewing as a young kid right like it's what gets you in love with the sport it's what it gets you in love with a potential team um is there is there a goaltender that that screams to you that you modeled maybe your style and your play after
0: it's i mean i guess the easiest answer is who, whoever was in net for the blues you know whether it was joseph or millen or patchablonski or grant fuhrer it just brent johnson even you know like all these guys were who i really looked up to um, Ron Hextall, I saw him score a goal as a kid, and that's what I wanted to do. So there's somebody outside the box when I was really young. And then when I scored in junior hockey, it was like, this is holy shit, it actually happened, right? as the first in the history of North American League. Um, and then I got to interview Hextall this past summer and talk about it. It was unbelievable to have that experience. But um, it, was, it really was truly whoever was in net for the Blues. That was who my hero was at the time. But, man, like – Belfort, Hashik like every, it was everybody, you know? And as I got older, Kolzig and then Brodeur. And there was kind of a theme of anybody who was really good at handling the puck is who I liked. Turco, you know, D.P. when he was the yeah. other way. And I'd watch him play for the U.S. Development team and then on to college. And uh, there's, there's a lot of those guys that filled that void for me. Um, I mean, even Ryan Miller is a guy that I really looked up oh, to. I saw him play for the Sault Ste. Marie Indians in the North American Hockey League against the St. Louis Sting. And then he goes to Michigan State, he's lights out, and then NHL. And then, you know, I get to play against him and, and speak to him and like just cool stuff like that, you know, people you look up to. But the long, the short answer, man, is just whoever was in net for the Blues and whoever had the coolest
1: looking equipment for the other team when they came in. You know, and the Blues had so many great goaltenders, too. I mean, so that, I mean, that's not. A hard uh well it's a hard question to answer because Curtis Joseph also had the awesome mask. Like his gear was just always so rad, you know, and then yeah. obviously Grant Fuhrer is a stud as well. Joseph, I just
0: liked his original mask, the one with the trumpets on the side. And I wasn't into the dog mask, which became his calling card. And it was cool for what it was, like it was his thing, but I just loved the big bold two-dimensional designs and his initial blues mask that was made by Greg Harrison was perfect, just perfect. And then like the heat and pro 90 Z pads and then the Louisville pads, like he just had cool gear. He had swag, he had style. Um, he's just somebody that, I mean, and I found out that, you know, they went to Wisconsin, he played college. And that, that all kind of set things in motion for me to think, I think that's where I'd like to end up. Cause the NHL didn't seem like possible. I thought, you know, maybe if I could get to college hockey, That would be really cool. And, you know, lo and behold, I went in on time at 18 and did just that. So um, it's a big credit and thank you to a lot of those goalies that I looked up to.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I was going to say, it's it's probably best, uh, you know, being your favorite goalie being the blue at the time growing up, you know, that, you weren't growing up during that o two o three season. We had like what seven or eight, like Brent Johnson, Brathwaite, Osgood, like all in the same year, like back to back with the injuries we had. But hey, I mean, I, either way, I, I totally get that. Growing up hometown, that that's kind of who you're going for. And then obviously, you know, just yeah, Hashik and all those guys. How do you how do you not love them? So uh, from from there, I mean. Your career obviously kind of wrapped up there, uh, 2018, 2019, the Phillies organization – or Phillies, the so Flyers organization. Excuse me. Wrong sport. Um, same city. <laughs> yeah, same city, wrong sport. Um, so, Flyers organization, I know you played with the, the Phantoms as well. I mean, kind of tell us about that final season a bit, and, and even more importantly, kind of that that last game you had too. Well, here's what
0: people don't know is that going into that year, it was going to be my last year. I was almost dead certain on that. I mean, it was going to take some incredibly wild scenario and circumstance for me, not for me to play another year after. I'd had a couple opportunities in media pop up that I'd interviewed and auditioned for uh, the summer before that last one and ultimately decided I wanted to play one more year. I'm coming off playing in the finals two years in a row. My, you know, my daughter's a little older it's like, she's going to be three years old in the season. Maybe she can remember me as a hockey player. And that was kind of a driving force for it. Sure. And so... You know, I signed with Ottawa, which I did reluctantly because I'd already been kind of bit by them once in my career. Um, and they told me all the right things uh, in the you know the week leading up to free agency when there used to be an interview period. And you know, Pierre Dorian told me, "Yep, you'll you'll get the call ups. We have any short call ups, you'll you'll get them. But we need you in Belleville. We need you to help develop our young goaltenders. We have quite a few of them. We trust you for that." And well, you know, I last it lasted a month in Belleville before I got called up, and I was gone for two months, which is, I mean, I was in the NHL, so it's great. Yeah. But my family is a huge commitment for us to go to Canada with two kids that are going to be one in school, you know, a dog, everything. Like we'd never been there before. Right. So we show up and like within a month I'm gone. Like <laughs> I don't see him for like two months. Right. And, uh, and then they show up in Ottawa and we're supposed to have, you know, a week together in the hotel. The team knows they've gotten the hotel for us. And the team had already not given me any indication, to get a place to live. So I knew I was a dead man walking this whole time. Yeah. At some point I was going to get sent out. Sure. It's been two months and they haven't, you know, the CPA says they have to tell you whether you're going to get a place to live or not. They didn't even do that. So I knew I was definitely on a yeah. limb here.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, if, if they're not following the letter of the law. And so I was like, all right, well, we'll just live in the hotel for a bit. At least we can be together. And Either they'll eventually come to Ottawa or I'll get sent out. Well, they were there for a day and a half and I got traded to the team we were playing that night, which was Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> uh, and so I, I, took, morning, story.
1: I, I took, morning, story.
0: took morning skate with the Ottawa Senators, got called out at lunchtime to the assistant GM's office, who I'd never, I'd met him once. And he goes, well, Mike, uh, just wanted to let you know we've traded you to Vancouver. I'm like, what are you talking about? Are you serious? <laughs> like, Uh, yeah, we didn't know how you'd react. How do you think I was going to react? I haven't seen my family in two months and they just showed up, man. And like, you just, you just threw my life in a blender again, you know? And, uh, they're like, yeah, we know, we know, but it's a business. I'm like, you don't have to tell me it's a business. I've been in pro hockey for 13 years. You've been in it for two months. Um, which was kind of my own hubris, but like, in any case, that's what happened. I got traded to the team down the hall. Canadian television had me carrying a trash bag down the hallway to the Vancouver Canucks dressing room. I look like a kaleidoscope oh. on the ice <laughs> wearing black and red gear in a Vancouver Jersey, I back up against my old team. We fly to Montreal. I back up again. We fly to Toronto. Uh, and then I'm on waivers. Cause they're going to send me to Utica. Their plan was to call up Thatcher Demko. It was for me to go to Utica, be their third guy. And at this point, I'm kind of like wrapping my head around. Okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to get the family to Utica. We'll get this figured out. well, I get claimed on waivers by Philly. (laughs) So I go from Ottawa to Montreal to Toronto to Philly in like three and a half days and three teams. And uh, so there I am in Philly and I'm a Philadelphia flyer, you know, January 4th, I guess. And uh, basically it took another two months. My my family was still in Canada, kid in school, kindergarten up there before we got to trade deadline. And we finally realized, okay, I'm going to be in lehigh valley this is where i'm going to end up because i didn't know where i was going to go like when i went back on waivers trade deadline all those things i was on the goalie carousel. i didn't know what was going to happen and um so thankfully i got to stay in philly organization they were amazing to me Uh, and to my family you know like they knew i was in a pretty shitty situation and i show up and i've got two jerseys for my kids in my stall like no team had ever done that for me ever that's awesome Um, and that means a lot when you when you're going through that, so um, got through that, finished in Lehigh, and the last game, yeah, it was just at that point I knew it was definitely my last year. <laughs> After everything we'd gone through, and we finally got the band back together. Like, oh, by the way, our dog went diabetic and nearly died on the move oh from God. Belleville to Lehigh Valley. He's alive now. It, it ended up okay, but it was sketchy for a while. Um, but we get there, and I knew it was the end. And I told the head coach there, and the goalie partner alex lyon and carrie huffman I'm like listen this is it for me and if you could just tell me when my last game is going to be the last start i'd really appreciate it because i know my parents would like to come uh, and, and obviously my like my wife girlfriend kids if possible and there's only one rule you cannot pull me i'm going to play the entire game no matter what happens and and Gary Hoffman was like, yeah, I would never pull you in your last game. <laughs> you know, <he's, laughs> he was really cool about it. <laughs> but uh, so it, and they gave me the last game of the year in Lehigh Valley, which was like, I didn't expect that because generally like, I mean, Alex Lyon had been the guy there for three years, two years, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it's his game. Um, but they decided to let me play it. And you know, my parents are there, wife, kids, and, you know, skate out for warm-ups and kind of, taking it in, you know, looking at the kids and taking pictures and, and I'm, I'm holding it together. I'm doing okay. Um, I think I allowed two goals in the first and we were down like two nothing. And I was kind of like, all right, well, I'm playing all right. You know, just enjoy this. Yeah. And I don't know how long into the second, but we scored I think midway through the second. And I'm like, okay, well, two to one. And it gave us some life. And it might have even been late in a second. And then we go out for the third and we scored right away. And it's two to two. And I'm like, we're not losing this. Like, <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it just came over me that this is not a game that's going to be lost. We are going to win this game. And sure enough, we end up going to overtime and then a shootout. And I remember skating out for overtime. And you go to the other end, and I looked up, and there's a picture of me at this moment. And I'm looking at my my mom standing up and she's like this and she's teary-eyed. And I'm just like, and it was like the most peaceful moment of my life on the ice, you know, where it was just like face to face. This is it. I'm so happy you're here. Whatever happens, happens, you right. know? And I got to tell you, man, I made some saves in OT and I tracked down a puck. Like I made a save and, and sprinted to a puck at like the top of the circle to knock it out of the zone. Like, I I wasn't really in my right mind. I was totally playing free. You know what I mean? Like sure, yeah. And yeah, and so we go to a shootout and I stopped all three in the shootout.
2: Beautiful. Like,
0: all three and made the save. So listen, short of winning a Stanley Cup or a championship at any level, just getting off the ice a winner, you know, a first star, all that shit, right? Like my kids are there. Again, my dad's right there when I come off the ice um family came in the locker room afterwards my dad was in on the post game meeting you know i called him in like it just it was incredible man i couldn't have written a better chapter and like when you think about ending a career there's too many guys that have to be told to stop when it's time or they don't get a contract or they get hurt and right. yeah. i felt like my career at that time had run its course i was ready you know i i i loved it i missed the competition I don't miss putting the gear on all the time, you know, and I don't miss the nervousness before games that started to get worse as my career got older. Like I just, I didn't need that. I just wanted to end the way the way I wanted to. And it was perfect. It was, it's hard to believe that it played out like that, Um, but it couldn't have been better.
1: Listen up goons got to interrupt the podcast to talk about another one of our amazing sponsors. ShortSide Co., a hockey apparel and accessory company. Established in 2020, ShortSide is a Minnesota-based company with all four owners having a combined 25 years of professional hockey experience. All of their tape is made in the USA, tested and certified by NHL players, including Nate Schmidt. We had him on the podcast, so if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and check it out. He's a beauty. All of their products are created by players for players. Going short side is a lifestyle. But why go short side? Well, scoring goals is their passion. There are many variables that come into play in order to score a goal high on the short side, but it all starts with a perfectly executed tape job. After scoring goals in every league, from Mites to the NHL, they are confident that their product will be a staple in any locker room. For individuals and organizations looking to join the short side community, Go to www.goshortside.com. Big Balls Kickball is St. Louis's premier adult kickball league, bringing you the best game in town since 2007. Veteran-owned and operated, they strive to bring out the kid and everyone, and they let you let loose and make new friends on that field. Big Balls welcomes players from all walks of life, and they pride themselves on being one of the most inclusive leagues out there. If that's not enough, they also offer Big Balls apparel. That's right. They sell clothing, all that stuff, and it's rad. Me and Tommy have some. We've been rocking them. They go back with the retro designs, back to the 90s, back to your childhood, all of that. So be sure to go and check out Big Balls Kickball at www.stlbigballs.com. I mean, ending on your own terms, I mean, and especially as epic and beautiful as you uh, just described it. I mean, you, I mean, like you said, you can't write that better. I mean, that's, no. that's awesome. And you had an organization that had your back, took good care of yes. you, and you didn't know if that was going to happen again. I mean, that's awesome, man. It's great uh, to, as you said, you were playing as if there was no tomorrow because there was no tomorrow. Nope. Uh, you were playing for your family. You're playing, playing for your fans. I mean, that's dude, uh, beautiful, beautiful. It was it, cool. I mean, there's, um,
0: it's kind of like the Dillinger escape album or irony is a dead scene. <laughs> Dillinger escape plan album. It's like loyalty is a dead scene. Well, that's just, that's the way it is, man. That's, that's business in general. Everything's so cutthroat now, but there is right and way right and wrong ways to do things. Um, and thankfully there are still people in hockey that do things the right way. Um, and you really appreciate it when you get to play for those teams and for those people.
1: No, I mean, I love that you mentioned Dillinger escape plan and don't act like I'm not going to ask you uh, music questions cause that's coming, but uh, we will wrap up the hockey chapter. Uh, my last question with that is that, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about how much you grinded jump from team to team. You said three teams in three and a half days. Is yeah. that, yeah, I mean madness. So at the end of the day, you're sitting on your couch, you turn on hockey um and I hope you still have a, a a found love for hockey as you did when you started out. Uh who, who are you who are you cheering for these days? Like what's the teams that you are are wanting to watch when you sit down in your living room with your family and you put it on the TV? I'm
0: so agnostic when it comes to teams at this point. You know, like I've I have friends on every team it feels like. Um there's teams I don't want to see succeed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I kind of circle back to just the teams that I had good experiences with, right? Like when my girls see the Dallas Stars, they remember our Calder Cup run. They remember the same names. They remember their babysitter, Jason Dickinson, who's moved on to Vancouver now. But yeah. like there's intrinsic moments there that really matter. And, you know, they my daughter liked Philly from the start because they were orange, right? But they also remembered how good they were to us. And so, I I mean, there's still... I watch the blues and I'm in St. Louis because they're on TV, but I also still have like a draw to the hometown team. It's just that I don't actively root for teams and die by teams anymore. You know, I don't get upset when a team loses. When Vegas lost, when I was working for Vegas last two years, I could care less that they lost. I didn't have a dog in that fight, which I mean, I think that's different than some people. Um, For me, that's just how it was. You know, I, I felt that I was supposed to be something of an impartial broadcaster to truly analyze things on a minute level. You have to be impartial, I believe. Um, so that was a little bit different. I mean, would it have been awesome if Vegas won while I was there? Absolutely. Um, but do I sit there and put pom-poms on and cheerlead between games? That doesn't happen very often, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of a different dynamic, I think, when you've played. And you don't really have a dog in the fight, too. You know, if I'd played for a team for 10 years and came out and did broadcasting or something, and I or ended up living in that city, I think it'd be very different. Um, But just really because of my career path, it made me, like I say, like very kind of agnostic towards teams where nobody was truly a favorite. Um, I think there is kind of hope in the household, though, that maybe my kids will eventually gravitate to just one team. (laughs) So it makes it easier to like, you know, get them a hat or a shirt. Or, you know, if they go to school with their classmates, you know, in St. Louis or wherever
1: else, like one team, you know what I mean? Yeah. But Has that started yet? Have you seen them gravita- gravitate towards a team at all? They're all over the map and they don't sit
0: down and truly watch hockey that often, but I also haven't been here for a lot of it, right? I've been in Las Vegas calling games for the Golden Knights and haven't had a chance to watch a lot of hockey with them. So, um, you know, this year I think, being having the family's gonna live together this year. (laughs) So it's like I I would definitely expect to be able to watch more hockey with them. My oldest daughter plays she's eight years old. Um so I, I think it'll get there. But it's on them, man. If they if they don't want to, I'm not gonna force them or pressure them in any way. I want them to discover the game organically.
2: Yeah.
0: Like I want them to fall in love with it the way I did because I just man, I just loved it. I wanted to go downstairs and shoot pucks. I wanted to watch every goalie and warmups from the opposite team. I wanted to draw their masks. I wanted to get every equipment catalog under the sun and memorize everything about sticks and goalie equipment. And that's my hope for them. And whether it's hockey or whether they find something else that they're that passionate about, I don't care what it is. I just want to see them be passionate about something and really love it and really learn to enjoy it.
1: Well, Mike, you're, uh, you're quite the cook, or at least I can tell from your social media. I mean, I've never tasted your cuisine. Tonight's dinner sucked. I tried to make a chicken parm. It was terrible, but go <laughs> figure. <laughs> um, but it seems that, you know, you found a passion in, in cooking as well. Uh, what, do you, what do you think is your favorite meal to prepare? What do you think your specialty is? When you, when you have people over to the house, you got dinner and maybe some wine going, what, what are you going to cook for them?
0: It's hard. It kind of like I I'll try to cater to friends when they come. Like if I know they're super into something, uh, it makes it a little bit easier for me to, to do tr- totally truthful. I experiment a lot when friends come over because I can do things in like big format version of it. But like the easiest standby, I love to make pizza. I love to make Detroit style pizza. It's so easy. Um, I mean, I'm kind of extra, so I I go a little overboard at making the sauce and do everything else. But like, if you want a crowd pleaser that's like you do it in advance. They show up, you put it in the oven, you wheel it out. It's hard to beat, you know? And Uh, I thought it's so simple, but like you can make pizza as easy or as hard as you want. And I make the sauce I make the crust. Like the only thing I don't do is make the cheese for the most part. Right. Or, or, or case the pepperoni. So
2: um,
0: I love doing pizza for people. I love, you know, I love barbecuing, man. I love doing ribs. I love anything that I can smoke with on my grill uh, those are kind of more big format things that are super easy when people are coming over same thing um, but I really love even simple stuff like just doing different types of tacos or hand foods you know like instead of formal make it fun like make two or three different types of taco fillings put it in a crock pot or two and let people go hog wild you know make some watermelon margaritas or regular margaritas nice. like yeah I just I like that kind of festive interactive stuff more
2: than I like like super plated dinners you know Nice. Yeah. I mean, definitely a few tricks up your sleeve. It sounds like there, but keep it simple. Keep, keep it happy for everyone. Crowd pleasers. That's, that's nice stuff. So from, from a movie standpoint, straightforward question, best hockey movie of all time. Slapshot. Good answer. Okay. You only
1: need one, a- one word. Good yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Good answer. Wow. Okay. We're,
1: we're, we're two for two on that. Slapshot it is. I mean, there. I mean, there's so many different options, though, right? Like, I mean, I feel like that that that's the go-to. But I mean, it's hard not to to mention Miracle. Or I, I do. I love Mystery Alaska. I feel like people don't talk about that movie enough. Like, I thought that Mystery is
0: really good. It's funny. It's. I mean, if you take it for what it is, I thought it was great. I mean, I still quote like I'll be on the bench sometimes when I was playing, and I'll look at our equipment guy. Well, not playing, you know, when I was backing up. which I did a lot of. But like, if the if the if the national anthem was really slow. At the end of it, I'd always turn around
1: to the equipment guy and I'd be like, I'm like, that was the little Richard version.
0: Because if you remember Mystery Alaska, he takes yeah. forever because they're trying to cool down the opposing, the Rangers, right? And I'm yep. like, it's the little Richard version. And it always gets a laugh. You know, it's like one of those punchlines you store inside when you know you yeah. can utilize it. Um, so I like Mystery Alaska. It's, you know, that was a fun movie. Young Blood's awesome. Uh, the first Mighty Ducks for my age group, I'm 38. So like the first Mighty Ducks they saw in the theater. Yeah, it, it was just, it was cool. It was fun. It was our age group. I mean, I know it, it, Madonna and McRae are still getting royalties off it, which is hysterical. <laughs> um, so there's been some good ones. Um, second and third Mighty Ducks, no thanks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, like Slapshot's just untouchable. It really is. Everything about it, start yeah. to finish.
1: So, uh, you know, going in that same direction. Uh you mentioned earlier. You you quoted the dillinger escape plan. And I know you and I have spoken at lengths about metal music and yeah. and your passion for that. I, I see that. Um what do you I mean, what are some of your favorite bands? I, I I have in the question, what are your favorite artists and and bands? But I know that you gravitate more towards the heavier music. Uh if you're uh if you're going for like a long bike ride so you say what uh, what yeah. album what albums are you throwing on i had you know i had opeth
0: blackwater park going through my head the whole trip in the middle <laughs> of summer 90 degree weather this really super you know like cold dark damp fall winter album blackwater park whatever reason that was going through my head i have no idea why um it's funny because I, I don't even like Opeth anymore from what they've transitioned into and to be in just a straight up prog band. If I could take them when they were heavy and met, like, I loved Opeth. Like, I love Blackwater Park. Um, but Amada Marth has always kind of been my go-to in these last couple of years. I love them. Uh, that type of Viking Swedish death metal, just, I don't know, man, that it's, it's all derivative of basically a heavier, faster Iron Maiden to me in a lot of ways, which you know i came to appreciate maiden later in life but learning that lineage of them to inflames dark tranquility arch enemy and then that kind of carried over into the bands like you know at the gates in there too but i carried over into bands like shadows fall and kill swiss engage and god forbid and darkest hour and like it just it all had this progression in lineage and then i kind of got super into black metal like dissection and immortal and um like that whole scene was pretty Obviously, weird, and I don't align with a lot of the values of what they had in the nineties in any way, but just the music is like i don't know why, man, I don't like anything easy in life, right like it's just it's fast, it's driving, it's hard to play, it's just got this whole vibe to it, right like when you put on a dissection album, it sounds like it's freezing cold, and I don't know how you quantify that like and if you listen to a if you listen to a mortal, it sounds like it's freezing cold right and, and yeah. I don't know why, but that's the way it is. And, and I don't know why I'm drawn to it. I don't know why I like these Swedish death metal bands that are just, I, I, it's the guitar work. I know that's, that's why. But so many people are just like vocal driven in how they listen and consume music. And I take the vocals as part of the band. It's part of the sound. And the vocals to me are more of the vibe of the music. If it's super heavy music, I don't want to hear somebody crooning over it. Like that's just not how it works for me. Like I, if it's heavy, it needs some heavy vocals, you know, or fast vocals at least. And I I've never been really big on that aspect, whereas most people like general public just listens. Oh, she's got a beautiful voice. That's great. You know, there's a million people out there. I'm not impressed by somebody that can sing. I'm not, I'm impressed by somebody that can pick up an ax and absolutely go up and down a fretboard and, and do it with, I mean, not just fast, but, like, have some groove to it, dude. You know what I mean? Like, there's a reason why Pantera was a gateway for a lot of people because there's so much groove to it. Right. Like, you hear a couple of their opening riffs, and it's just, bang, your head's going. You can't help yourself. And that's, that's kind of where my whole basis of music was. Like, I had needed a riff. I needed a groove. I needed my head to go. And the vocals kind of followed suit on that. And, yeah, like, dude, I'm you can't tell. <laughs> um, being able to download illegally in college was the best thing that ever happened because oh, it yeah. led to me probably buying, I don't know, 300 CDs, right? Because I found all these bands. Um, so it was that was eye opening when you could just, here comes the music. You know, and I found all these bands once I got to college. Fear Factory was a huge gateway for me, too. That was another band. Like, I remember going to Ozfest 97 or 8 and Slayer and Fear Factory on it. And like, we didn't know what to expect. We'd never seen a show like that. And Fear Factory's pit was insane. It was on the concrete at Riverport. And I'm just looking at this going. And, and then, you know, Slayer gets on stage and people are throwing turf up in the, in the bleachery, like just mayhem. So when I go to shows, I stand in front of the soundboard. Yeah. And that's no, we, that's we my got, safe place. You
1: got, you got to stand back now, for sure. Yes. for sure. Yeah, I was never a railing guy, though. I like being in front of the soundboard because I yeah. get the best sound.
0: Like, I'm not there to rage. I'm not there to get in a pit. I'm there to listen to the music and watch the musicians.
1: So that's my safe spot is right in front of the soundboard. So what you're saying is you're not the shirtless guy with the tribal tats with, like, the beer in your hand, you know, punching a bunch of little kids in the head, right? No
0: chance, dude. Like, <laughs> And I went through that awkward phase of where hardcore and metal were kind of like clashing where you get the hardcore kids da- doing the hardcore dance, dancing, yeah. you, do, you know, picking up change and windmill and kicks. And like <laughs> then you yeah. get these like big metal dudes that would come in and just clean house. And it, it just, that era from like 2000 to 2004 was weird. Cause like you get a band like unearth or shadows fall that truly bridged the gap between the two. And some of those fans didn't, it's almost like they didn't know what to do. Yeah. They didn't get know? it they didn't get yeah, it yeah in a lot of ways they did it and those bands were so rad dude like they and like brian Ferrer, the singer of shadows fall lives in st louis and is a friend now like it's the what? craziest thing i didn't yeah, know dude. that
1: i had no but idea Wild.
0: yeah but like i remember talking to him about it one time he's like yeah man we just sometimes we didn't know what was going to happen at shows like lamb of god early 2000s like like they kind of came from a hardcore background and gravitated towards metal and it was the same thing they had their old school fans and new school and it just you know you never knew what you were gonna see
1: yeah i'm you mentioned darkest hour earlier and undoing ruin is like one of my favorite metalcore albums and it's you know that that term metalcore came together out of confusion i feel like because you got these bands that are just we're just playing metal and then you got other bands like yeah we're just a hardcore band but it's like the fans are kind of what brought it together you know as you said it's like two clashing genres and people don't look at it that way because from the outside looking in if you're just into country pop r&b you don't really know about this like blend of, of no. heavy music well it's just all these subgenres that people are creating you know it's like my buddy and i remember when we first
0: listened to mastodon in like 2004 and we started calling it shipwreck metal you know, cause it was, and it was a pure joke and play on what people are yeah. doing, you know, like, oh, that's blackened thrash. Okay. It's black and thrash. All right. Well, this is mellow death. This is, and like, it's heavy metal guys. It's metal. Like if the guitars are loud and the heads are banging, like it's metal. <laughs> like if, if, if they, if they solo, we'll call it metal. Simple as that. And
1: if they don't solo, then you can call it core. You can do whatever you want. That was, like, my two – that was, like, my line. You know what I mean? (laughs) I guess the breakdown is really what, like, if you break down the riff, then all of a sudden you're not metal or hardcore. You're, like, a combination of the – Yeah. But if you really think about it, like, that started really early on with, like, Metallica Mm -hmm. and, like, even – uh Sepultura and it, these bands were kind of initiating this like just open chord groove structure or Pan- Pantera it's like, it's like no one Slayer. called Pantera yeah no one called Pantera metalcore it was just metal you know yeah, I mean and, Slayer came out of hardcore you know that the Undisputed
0: Attitude, I guess, right? That's their cover album. I think it was all old hardcore bands. So that stuff's always crossed over, but it, when people get so into a, a specific genre, it's almost like they won't allow themselves to branch out, you know? It's like, yeah. I'm, a, I'm Italian. I'm only gonna eat Italian food. <laughs> it's like, man, like Asian, Asian culture and food is really good. You should try that.
1: No, I want chicken parm and I want pasta. <laughs> it's, well, you know, a lot of that has to do with age. And I always said that punk rock is with the youth and it evolves over time and it's like i i remember distinctly being at a bar one time and i i think i was playing like uh man it might have been like something like newfound glory or less than jake like something or maybe some somewhere in that realm and uh the guy was like i thought you were gonna play some punk rock and it, you know older dude you know tattooed yeah. leather and I, I was like you know it, this is punk rock. And he's like, this ain't punk rock. And I didn't know what he was talking about until years later, you know, and then you got these other bands coming out, you know, now we got Machine Gun Kelly and all these up and coming like, uh, influential rap, pop punk vibe. And I'm like, this ain't punk rock. And I'm like, wow. yes, it is. Yes, it Kinda is. I'm, same just thing, right?
0: I'm just old. I mean, he thought you should be listening to the Sex Pistols. Right, you know, Correct. and Blink-182 and, yeah. Blink and Newfound Glory weren't the Sex Pistols. No, nope. they weren't the Ramones, you know, and that's we all go back to that. And I mean, I have a real appreciation for old music. I like old metal. I love Black Sabbath. I love Maiden. I lo- I like some older priests, but like modern metal is where my heart is. It really is the production value, the heaviness, the, the just all that is next level compared to the old stuff that can to me can still sound dated at times and it's rare that i find an album like from way back that i listen to especially like i grew up on grunge you know and i listen to like nirvana and i'm just like oh i was that into this and I, it's still kind of okay but then i listen to smashing pumpkins and i'm like man this stuff still sounds awesome yeah like this band still kills you know like Siamese Dream and Melancholy like those albums were so good and even you know there's even some Alice in Chains it's still kind of the same way like some of their stuff sounds a little dated but like their later era things still they sound fresh you know and that's to me like really those timeless bands are the ones
1: that you can listen to and be like yeah this is this was pretty special what was going on well Mike we won't keep you much longer uh normally we wrap up um just kind of giving us up to date what you're up to, what you're doing these days. I know you have a podcast that you, you post, which I enjoy. I enjoyed your episode with uh, the drummer of Slipknot. Uh, yeah. Forgive me, I can't think of his name right now, but it was an awesome episode, even though he's a Weinberg. He's a yeah. Preds fan, so I'll forgive him. Uh, but uh, he was great a Devils drummer. fan first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Great drummer, awesome band. I, I love your podcast. What else are you up to these days?
0: Yeah, the podcast I kind of put on hiatus just because I had a lot of things going on. I'm not sure if it's going to come back or not. But six degrees with Mike McKenna it was mostly goalies. But I started to branch out into. I mean, I had a bus driver. I had an athletic trainer, IndyCar car drivers, drummer. I tried to be pretty wide ranging. Um. But otherwise, like, it's just figuring out my next step. You know, I'm not going to be back with the Golden Knights this season as a TV analyst. So um, it's figuring out, you know, do I get to stay in TV? Do I get to do something else? That's to be determined. Um, you know, a month ago, when a month or month and a half ago, when I let go, got let go, I probably wasn't as optimistic as I am now. <laughs> so, um, you know, like I say, I'm kind of hoping in the next week or two to have pretty, a pretty clear idea of what I'll do. And I think it'll still be in hockey. I sure hope it's still in hockey. Um, I know I have a lot more to give uh, and I hope people enjoyed it, but um, you know, it was a bummer to leave Vegas. I, I had two pretty amazing years getting to do something that I only dreamed of post-hockey, you know, getting to be a broadcaster, go on TV, talking hockey. Like it's pretty cool. Like Tyler, like think about in playoffs, man, like, kind of getting to meet everybody and hang out a bit in Vegas was just, I felt like, you know, we we're getting on that cusp of really getting to know the city. Right. And you still get to do it, man. So yeah. I, I envy yeah. you there for sure. And uh, But those are some good memories, man.
1: No, and you, you're a great dude. You're a very talented individual. So I'm sure you'll find your place. Um, you know, we wish you all the best, bud. And we thank you very much for coming on. Um, you know, whatever's next in life, we cheers to that, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Here's my empty glass of water, everybody. So <laughs>